This is the Ethics Lab Podcast, exploring the path from better knowledge to practical results in healthcare ethics. Bearing witness, recognizing that humanity, being a part of that conversation and finding those roots of empathy has been important for us as clinicians and across the whole street medicine team, and I think important for our patients because they're seeing us connect with them in a wholly new way. The homeless in any community face stigma, social isolation, and the loss of relationships. They suffer a disproportionate burden of illness and premature death. And the life expectancy of a homeless person is 47 years. The healthcare leaders collaborating in the Portland Street Medicine Program are working to shape a different future. Our guests today are Dr. Dan Bissell, an emergency care physician, as well as co-founder and executive director of Portland Street Medicine, and Drew Grabham, a social worker and board member of Portland Street Medicine. My name is Kevin Murphy, and this is Ethics Lab. How would you describe street medicine? Street medicine to me is a way of helping alleviate suffering and a way to help connect with more of my community that I want to be a part of and uplift. Dan, how would you describe street medicine? I love Drew's answer. And one of the most uh, exquisite things is that his answer is a little different from my answer and they're both spot on. And one of the beautiful aspects, I think, of street medicine is it breaks down all kinds of barriers and silos in healthcare and in healthcare teams and asks us to really embrace new perspectives and cross-disciplinary perspectives. And I think that's honestly one of the most invigorating things for me as a clinician. So when I translate my practice of emergency medicine from the ER to the streets, it doesn't translate very well. I mean, the medicine is the same. Healthcare is the same. Human anatomy and physiology and disease is the same. But uh, fundamentally, clinical medicine on the streets is very different and has different resources, different opportunities, different challenges um, inherent to the setting and the population. So uh, it's asked me to look afresh at how I can take my skill set and deliver it to meet both the clinical needs of the patients that we're caring for and collaborate with the likes of Drew and the rest of our team to understand a real holistic vision for how healthcare is a fundamental uh, determinant of um, their existence on the streets and in a houseless condition. So that's what it is, but how does it work? That's a a great question. So um, by its very term and definition, street medicine is bringing medicine to the streets. So in its simplest and most obvious form, it means that we are going out as a team on the streets, rounding on uh, folks that are uh, houseless in tent encampments in areas that we know that they may congregate, uh, sometimes in shelters and trying to serve that population directly in a house call or houseless call, if you will, uh, exactly as you suggest, Kevin. However, really street medicine is a broader term than that because it is a paradigm shift. It is, you know, our our healthcare system is incredibly complex and powerful, but it's really in many ways uh, 
organized and engineered to deliver care as opposed to care for people. And one of the beautiful aspects that I've come to appreciate about street medicine is it's flipping that paradigm and it's bringing healthcare out to people and saying, how can we make this work for you? And that's such a, such a subtle but fundamental difference. And so sometimes that means street rounds going out tent to tent, camp to camp. Sometimes that means phone calls. Sometimes that means collaborating with other service organizations that are uh, trying to help clients with other sorts of things like housing or mental health or addiction and us being able to be a clinical arm for the work that they're already doing. Sometimes it means consultation with public officials or with other people on things we're seeing in the streets and how we can make an impact in that environment. I think um, I really uh, uh, appreciated, you know, dancing, and I think a lot of what street medicine really is, and like wh- where we where we can deliver it, is really like it's really a, a, a reframing of how we do it. So it is doing the care on the streets, but it's also we we intentionally talk with our volunteers about how can you practice street medicine when you maybe are working in your ER and really helping kind of shift their their frame of mind, the way they ask questions, the way they try to connect people, and the way they chart in their chart to really be more reflective of the humanistic care that we're doing. The way I we really talk about street medicine is really creating a relationship and engaging people in that, in that relationship so we can practice the healthcare that we've all trained to do. And just to add on to that, you know, the the vast majority of the clinical care that we deliver uh, is actually relatively simple. It's a tremendous amount of wound care. It's a tremendous amount of consultation, uh, sometimes uh, some basic primary care. Certainly, we see some very, very sick people, and we never uh, hesitate to rely on EMS and our colleagues in uh, in sort of established traditional healthcare when people need urgent attention that we can't provide in the streets. But a lot of the 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 work that we do is building trust through very simple healthcare and direct hands-on care that really opens the door and opens avenues for more conversations and more opportunity to start to build continuity, start to build uh, a bit of sustained care, and start to always work towards uh, moving somebody towards a, a system of established care. Because we fully recognize that our goal is not to deliver comprehensive healthcare on the streets, nor long-term healthcare on the streets. Our goal is always to help immediate need, but also start to develop that continuity and that trust that can sometimes lead to somebody taking steps towards sustained care, maybe sustained housing, and getting traction on that path up out of houselessness. How did this start for you? How did you first become involved? I ventured into um, the idea of street medicine uh, back during um, my graduate school when I lived in Alaska. Um, and was doing mental health, um, working in a uh, mental health center. And uh, how I got exposed to it was this this doctor and this peer came in and presented at a conference in it, um, and said, here's what we're doing. I'm an ER doc, and when I get off my shift, I kind of get some supplies, and then I go and take care of the people for real. And it just really inspired me. And, and that, that, that individual is Dr. Jim Withers, um, who sort of uh, really showed me the way of like, oh, we can really just do this. He kind of gave me that permission to really, like really think outside the box, and that was in um, the early like 2002. Um, and then it just took me um, a few years, um, let's say 15, to sort of be sitting in a meeting next to Dan and Dr. Bill and um, 
have find the right people that were like in my community that says we want to do this as well. And uh, there, there's sort of how we 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 happen to be sitting in the right meeting, and we we happen to be talking about the same thing and created Portland Street Medicine at that point. Dan, how about you? How did it start? You know, you know, similar like all great innovation stories, it was the right uh, mix of ingredients coming together at the right moment. So. Um, in my role as an emergency physician, I'm also CEO of a large independent emergency group uh, here in Portland, Oregon that staffs seven hospitals throughout a system. So we're quite large. And I'd been in my role as CEO for a number of years and was starting to look at ways that as a, an executive leader of the company, I could get more involved in the community. And homelessness seemed like a very logical and aligned uh, issue for us to get involved in since we see so much of it. In the ER, and quite frankly, as ER physicians are generally frustrated um, by our lack of ability to make a meaningful impact, because while we can care for the individual at that moment in the ER, uh, we see so much recidivism, and it's it's frustrating to feel like you're not able to help and get traction there. So I got involved uh, in the issue, and around that time, the Enterprise Institute had come out with its uh, landmark study, really, that showed that housing was a significant medical intervention and could have a significant impact on healthcare costs. And I got involved in a group here in town called Oregon Harbor of Hope that is working on uh, building a, um, a sustained system of uh, co-located services. And being on that board, I started to learn more about it, learn more about the community already at work here, which Drew is already an active and vibrant member of uh, the social services community. And I happened to be out in Boston for uh, a set of meetings and a friend of mine connected me with the um, CMO of the Boston Coalition for Healthcare for the Homeless, Dr. Jesse Gaeta. And she took me on a tour of their facilities and literally blew my mind. I was just astounded by the sophistication uh, and stature of what they have achieved in that community for, gosh, 40 years now, more. Um, and I came back eyes wide, sort of inspired to say, we need to do this. And one of the founding street medicine groups in this country was Boston Coalition for Healthcare for the Homeless. They've been doing street rounds for, for a long, long time, since the 70s, I believe. Um, and so I came back and started thinking about that. And, and Bill uh, Tupper, our medical director, was uh, a colleague of mine in the ER who was retiring but wanting to stay involved. And he and I started chatting and I, I came back and shared my experience. I said, this is incredible. We really ought to think about doing something. And he, at the same time, went out to the Street Medicine Institute conference uh, that year in Pittsburgh, I believe, and again, came back eyes wide saying this was amazing. And literally shortly thereafter, we were all in a meeting together with Drew and started to connect the dots. Uh, and literally one day in, in late January 2018, we all piled into Bill's Subaru with a couple of bags of tangerines and some stethoscopes and some band-aids and said, let's go do this and see what happens. And have been doing it ever since. And from the very first day, I think all of us uh, were really excited and blown away by the experience and immediately wanted to go back and do more. I think Drew has a wealth of, of experience on the streets doing mental health outreach. And so he was infinitely more familiar with that environment and what the work was like. And I think it's safe to say we've all learned a lot from, from his experience there. Um, but it, it Anybody we take out in the field, literally any clinician so far that we've taken out, walks away saying, that was incredible. I, I got to go do that again. What are some of the important stories that you take away from this experience? 
it's a wide variety of stories, but some of the ones that, that come to mind to me are just the humanness that it's, it's one human connecting with a, another human um, on a very just real level. And and that's what we get. So it could be as simple as us walking up to somebody and just offering to, Hey, we're Portland street medicine. Is there anything you need? You know, how are you doing today? Is there anything you need? Is there anything we could do? And they say, no, but thank you very much for, for coming out. And we said, Absolutely. We hope you have a wonderful day, you know, and and then we move on. And and there's just a beautifulness of that that we don't see when you're practicing in healthcare. And then there are other stories where we we come and we get to see that our intervention really did change someone's life. We have numerous stories where maybe we've been able to come in and and we were sort of the impetus to sort of help maybe get them that traction into housing or get them um, inside or maybe inspire them to maybe seek that oncology follow-up care or maybe just think about going back to the doctor. But it really just comes back to this this human connection that is sort of not always – embraced in our, um, in our other jobs. There's sort of this fast pacedness. We really get to slow down and just be very intentional in what we're doing um, and, and how we're engaging with people on a very real level. And I think that's, that's the secret sauce. When people come out, they just like that they got to be talked back to their roots. We're not talking about billing. We don't bill. We're not talking about these things. We're talking about, I want to help I want to be a helper. I want to try to connect with somebody and share the knowledge I have. And I want to learn from them. We have a very much a two way street of we get, we learn so much from the folks that we care for and we get to, to, to grow as individuals, as practitioners and as human beings. And then we get to share some of our knowledge with them. And there's very much an exchange there that you don't see in the regular healthcare setting. We were driving one summer morning um, and we happened to just, we actually were having a hard time finding one. So I saw a few tents um, on the side of the street and and we just sort of pulled over and said, let's just go check on on these, these folks here. Let's just see what we can do. And we came up and there's all these puppies. There's all these little, these, these puppies kind of barking at us. And then this head popped out of the tent and just said like, who are you guys? And uh, we were able to meet this gentleman and sort of talk with him. And he, and he came, when he came up and stood outside, he had a softball size hernia um, on his stomach. And he said like, I'm having a hard time just getting to my doctor, which was literally about a mile away. Well, we were able to help problem solve with him, help call his doctor, his clinic, help him get a, uh, gave him some bus tickets, helped make a plan for him to kind of get back to that clinic. You know, we thought, oh, this is great. He was super thankful. Um, we, and we said, great, you know, I hope it's all well. If you need us, just give us a call. Um, and shortly about a month later, we got a call from his doctor's office saying, I'm really worried about some of his lab work. Um, and what really turned out is this gentleman had a very advanced um, cancer um, and the the clinic was sort of trying to help him navigate the system. And so street medicine was able to sort of step back in and sort of help navigate that system for him, um, help him sort of explore getting off the street um, and, and help kind of navigate him. And he went through various palliative services, hospital services, and the one consistent throughout his experience was Portland Street Medicine. And we were able to sort of help him um, understand um, his diagnosis and, and understand um, his prognosis, and uh, we were able eventually to help him get into a, into a hospice center. And we would continue to visit him, even though we weren't practicing medicine, we were practicing and, and continuing that relationship. Um, and one night um, after a day of go- being on rounds, Dr. Bill and I decided we just wanted to go and visit him. So we went and visited him at the, ho- at the inpatient hospice center. And um, he just, he was very 
um, thankful that we would continue to visit him because his, his, his family that lived on the street weren't able to get to the location where he was. So we were like the one contact that he continued to have. And we, um, I just still remember eating, eating a bowl of ice cream with him that he just really wanted us to eat. And he wasn't able to eat at this point anymore, but, um, he looked at us and just sort of said, thank you. And, and he, and he asked if his life mattered. And I said, it absolutely does. It mattered to me and it mattered to Bill. And we'll continue to tell your story moving forward about the, about the importance of, human connection and kindness. And, and that has meaning. Um, and then the, the, the next day um, he, he sort of passed away. And I tend to think that we had a little bit of, um, he just needed to kind of know that last bit of thing. And we were able to kind of be there till the end um, to sort of um, help him pass in peace inside without pain. We were able to help him reconnect with some of his actual biological family. And that to me really, um, is a is a really good example of like the importance of what street medicine is, um, and still to this day I, I like to tell that story because I promised him that I would I would tell his story because by doing that I give his I give his life even more meaning um, and it gives part of my life meaning to be a, to have had that that unique um, opportunity to, to get to know him and spend some time with him and support him through his last days. I think that's such an important story, Drew, and I'm so glad that you that you brought that particular uh, case up because I think it really speaks to uh, the, the fundamental ethos of our mission, which is bearing witness and, and connecting with the humanity of our community writ large. And the fact that there are those in our community who are disenfranchised and not recognized. Um, and in fact, we've, we've had comments from other Patients. Another one that comes to mind is a is a woman on the streets whom we came upon one day who was desperately sick and had a ruptured appendix, and uh, ended up being in the hospital for some time. And we followed her intensively afterwards for a period. And she's actually on one of our videos, and she, and and her partner did a did an interview, and he said something very profound that has always resonated with me, which is, you know, when we go into the clinic, we have to act not homeless. We have to try and present ourselves and do things in a way that that make sure that we don't seem homeless so that we can integrate into that setting. He said the amazing thing about street medicine is that when they're out here, we can be ourselves and we can we can address things in the way that uh, that they actually are in our in our own reality. And I think that's fundamental to what we do. And strangely, that's part of the attraction, I think, as a clinician, is it, it it's equally true for me as an ER doc. When I'm out on the streets, I don't have to quite play my role as an ER doc. I don't have to own a medical problem with all the the legalities and responsibilities and and um, and risks inherent. I can really just approach it as a clinician and human to human and focus on that aspect of the empathy, which is what really drew um, drew most of us into medicine to begin with. And finding that roots of empathy is part of what makes the the uh, experience so meaningful for me. And has proven to be a powerful antidote to burnout in healthcare, which is a pervasive and devastating problem in our existing healthcare system. So I think bearing witness, recognizing that humanity, being a part of that conversation, and finding those roots of empathy has been important for us as clinicians and across the whole street medicine team. And I think important for our patients because they're seeing us connect with them in a wholly new way. Dan, what have been some of the aha moments? among these encounters? I think what, what's been extraordinary for me, um, I'm not sure I can, I'm not sure I can pinpoint an individual, although, although I can certainly come up with some examples, but 
one of the greatest lessons for me has been how heterogeneous this population is. Um, uh, we tend to think of homelessness as that person you step over on the sidewalk on the way into the business or the person holding the sign by the side of the road or the line of tents in the park. Um, and it takes on sort of a, a homogenous monolithic sense to it. And as I went out early on in our rounds and started to really learn and read and think more about this, I started to recognize how complex these populations were and how uh, dynamic they were, but also that they were very much uh, many cultures and societies and that they really were loving and caring uh, and concerned about each other and very cohesive. I, I was blown away and, uh, and remain blown away when we're going tent to tent on, on some of our street rounds and we'll say, you know, hey, it's Portland Street Medicine, a couple of doctors, nurse, social worker out checking on folks, anybody need anything? And we'll, we'll come to a tent and they'll say, you know, you know, I'm doing fine, but just around the bend, three tents down, I'm really worried about that guy. I heard him coughing all night and I haven't seen him out of his tent in about three or four days. And they really pay attention to each other. And you start to recognize and, and ask as you're bandaging a wound more about their stories. And you learn more about the many pathways uh, that end up on the streets and learn more about the, the challenges of, of getting off the streets. But it is by no means uh, a single story. Um, and that vibrancy um, has really given me pause uh, to think about how we address this problem, and how we integrate and tell that story as, as a community as a whole. You arrive with simple things that seem very meaningful. Could you speak about that? Sure. So, uh, you know, our, our typical rounds involve uh, uh, teams of typically four people. We have a sprinter van we go out in, and so sometimes we take two teams and separate. Uh, sometimes we do bike rounds, but typically um, we're equipped with a, a backpack that includes a range of medical supplies, but we always bring along a lot of comfort supplies. And they're often the first and most important entree into the conversation because we're out with a bag of tangerines, with uh, many pairs of socks, offering basic comfort supplies and just walking tent to tent and saying, hey, we're here. Uh, does anybody have any medical needs? Uh, people always love a tangerine. People love a pair of socks. It starts to open some smiles and some conversations and often is then the entree into asking a little bit more about any health problems they may have um, and starts to build some real trust. And the great part is if they don't have any healthcare needs, they still love seeing us. They love our presence. They acknowledge our presence. There's nothing more heartwarming than when you're out on rounds and you approach a community and you hear people say, hey, it's the street medicine team. And they've come to recognize our badge and our bags. And they know that we're going to bring some tangerines and some socks and some good cheer. And it seems to make a big difference. And I would also add <clears throat> some, some of some of what we really do is we really are out there practicing medicine and we're just practicing kindness. And, and and that's what I continue to say. And like, if, if we can bring again, the simple items and like who can't use a pair of socks, especially if you're on the street, that's, that's a simple medical intervention we can do, but really it's just sort of like this offering. And then we get, they sort of, we get to have an exchange and they get to kind of tell us about things and we get to show kindness and we get to say like, I see you. I hear what you're telling me and I, and, and so many times this population feels like they're invisible and we are intentionally saying, no, 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 we see you and we care about you and we would like you to have these things. They're just a little bit, cause we'd like to make your day just a little bit better. 
Yeah. I, one of the most question, uh, common questions, one of the most common questions that we get is, well, what about safety? Aren't you worried about security or getting injured? And it, it's really interesting. The answer is yes, of course. Uh, you know, putting teams of volunteers in the field, we train for security situations and we have some protocols that we follow to make sure that everybody stays safe because it can be an unpredictable environment on the streets. With that said, the vast majority of our experience has always been incredibly welcoming and loving and uh, feels very safe. And if somebody is agitated or upset, we are able to just back away and say, that's okay. The, the, the nature of the relationship is such that we're out offering services. And if somebody doesn't want to interact with us, they don't have to. And we're happy to just keep on moving and, and give them some space. Um, and similarly, we often have the fellow community members around that person helping us maybe say, you know what, maybe maybe leave that guy alone. He's not in a good place today. Um, or, or recognizing and looking out for our own uh, safety and security when we're in their community. And that, that again, I think speaks to the trust that we're building um, and, and has been a really interesting and eye-opening experience. What are you seeing now with the emergence of COVID-19? And how is it transforming the work? We didn't have to necessarily take a pause, but we had to take a really go back to being intentional with who are we going out and where are we seeing, but also recognizing the importance of us to continue to have our outreach services and and be intentional about continuing to make that connection and doing things. It's also really helped us realize how important and valued our work really is and how important it's going to be in the future as we, you know, um, recover through this and have all the financial ramifications. We, we see street medicine and outreach and bringing the, the, the support and services to the people being ever more important as, as part of the recovery to all of this. This is a very traumatic event for everyone experiencing it. And we were, I'm thrilled to be able to be a part of some of that recovery process and some of the, the important essential work to sort of help to rebuild, um, people's lives, help provide some stability and, and, and rebuild the, the, the healthcare system delivery. Um, that will will create. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I think one of the one of the strange ironies of the current times, among the many very strange angles of this whole situation, is that strangely the the houseless population may be somewhat better at social isolation than the rest of us, which offers a little bit of protection. There are many things that put them at risk. But one of the most devastating aspects of this, uh, of social isolation in particular, I think, is that they are even further cut off from services and connections. So shelters are closed, uh, common clinics are no longer having normal office hours, and so they become more isolated from help. And that's why, to Drew's point, we felt even more compelled to make sure that we continued a presence on the streets, making sure our teams were safe in doing so. But we felt it was all the more important that we still be out there and make sure that they recognize that we're there to help and that we know that they're there and we want to see them through this as we, as we move through it as an entire community. Um, as we talk as an organization now and start to think strategically, practically about how we're going to continue to serve this population in the months or arguably years ahead, there's a number of challenges that are going to emerge. Um, the risk of uh, infection and recurrence of the epidemic, the, the threat, the social stigma of infection and exposure is going to make 
shelters and uh, access uh, a challenge. And um, tragically, we may be facing a, a very severe um, uh, economic downturn, which may swell the numbers on the streets as people are unable to cover rents and mortgages. And so we're also concerned about that population um, and how we can try and um, give as many people as possible options and opportunities to get tractions off the street. What would you say are some of the misunderstandings or biases that street medicine confronts? Well, I can certainly speak to confronting my own internal biases, and that may be the most personal way to answer that question, um, because I will be the first to say I've cared for thousands of homeless people throughout my medical career, but have only in the last few years really started to embrace and understanding uh, more of that community, its needs, its challenges. And even still, I feel like I have a, a lifetime of learning ahead of me. Um, but as a clinician, um, it's it's forced me to confront more of the social determinants of health. It's forced me to consider um, when I do see homeless patients in the ER, how I think about their disposition, how I think about their long-term care, how I connect with them uh, intentionally as people first, and then address the barriers. And honestly, all of us have barriers to healthcare in one form or a fashion, and theirs are just different. And so it's, it's adjusted the way I approach that scenario clinically and certainly uh, in personally and, and empathetically. And then, and then I would say just as a member of the community as a whole in Portland, um, recognizing the complexity and heterogeneity of the community, recognizing how many people are involved in really trying to solve this complicated, thorny problem and serve this population has really opened my eyes to how caring this community is, uh, uh, the social services community, and how complicated the problem is. Um, and and uh, it's invigorating to lean in and try and help out in such a complex problem, but also a little exasperating when you recognize how many barriers there are. If you could fix one thing, given your time with street medicine, what would that be? What I would really fix is that people's understanding that the f individuals on the street are not choosing to be there we hear that a lot and that they are, they are not lazy individuals, right? They are busy surviving their trauma. That's really what they are every single day. They are working so much harder than I am to just survive and that we would have that greater understanding um, of, of their experience and that we would, if I could really fix it, it would be twofold. It would be one creating access to housing with supportive services for the folks that are already there with, with true wraparound services for those individuals. And then I would, I would really also just fix, flip it around to, to how we start to engage and empower people um, to uh, reach their own goals there. And we would really have a greater understanding of how, how do you really engage somebody in their system, understand their story, and then offer them um, some of the tools that they're looking for to do it. So we, we really have to flip a lot of the whole system around the, the, the power dynamics there. I continue to think that the, the individuals we're working with are 
did not fail the system, the system failed them. So if we really want to be, be king for the day, we'll just blow up the entire system of how we do things and we'll start over learning what what sort of worked, but but also then really, really with the individual there to talk about, why don't you go to the doctor? How do we get that feedback there? What is it you'd like? Where, where are the areas in your life you feel like you have control and where don't you have control? And we would really start to redesign how we actually engage people in their healthcare system. I, I sometimes characterize uh, the homeless situation here in Portland, and I think the the analogy extends to other communities that we have a refugee crisis in our midst. And if this were on an international stage, these thousands of people would be in an encampment somewhere, and the UN would be driving around with white helmets on, and CNN would be there reporting live from the camp, and there would be uh, a tremendous network of services trying to address that vulnerable and at-risk population. The reality is these economic refugees are our community members. They're our neighbors, in fact, and they are around every corner. And there is not a community in Portland or in any metro area that is not touched in some way by homelessness and by people that are either nearly homeless on the brink of it or have experienced it or are currently homeless. And so uh, I agree with Drew's perspective that you know we really need to address this holistically and embrace the fact that this is a part of our community and that we have to dig deep. And by addressing this problem, by solving and creating a better network to give people traction and lift them up out of uh, the, the, the state, then we actually create a better community for all of us. And we achieve the goals um, mutually that everybody has, which is to make homelessness go away, not to ship it somewhere else, not to make it disappear, but to actually make a community that cares for itself, that nurtures itself, that recognizes these challenges and barriers and opens its heart uh, and its capacity to trying to solve that problem. Appreciation to our guests today for their advice and reflections. As always, appreciation to our listeners as well. Thanks, everyone. My name is Kevin Murphy, and this is Ethics Lab. We hope you have enjoyed this edition of the Ethics Lab podcast, exploring the path from better knowledge to practical results in healthcare ethics. Ethics Lab was created by Kevin Murphy and Russell Keithline. Thanks for listening. Join us again. Yeah. <laughs>